0: Please turn with me in your Bibles. We're considering this morning uh, the first 11 verses in Matthew chapter 4. But to help you set the scene, and that's important, isn't it? I wonder, you know sometimes on TV uh, they have these uh, four or six part dramas. Have you ever seen one of those? And, And you've missed the first part. And your friend tells you over coffee or maybe in work or whatever, Say, oh, did you see that six-part drama? It was the first episode last night. Did you see it? And you say, oh, no, I didn't. You know, I was doing other things. Oh, it's amazing. And you try and paint the picture of what it's about. And they said, don't worry, you'll soon pick it up. Have you ever heard that? And uh, so, you know, you, you duly tune in the following week. You look up uh, when it's on. And uh, if you can't make it, you, you record it and uh, you sit down. And then at the beginning, it says, the story... So far, have you seen that? Yeah, great. It's not just me, then you do watch TV, do you? <laughs> well, we do, we are allowed to watch a bit of TV. Um, it's just what you watch is the important thing, isn't it? So, the story so far, and really, I want to do in about three minutes flat, I want to tell you the story so far to help us with the context as we come to Jesus in the wilderness being tempted uh, by the devil. Now, first and foremost, Matthew is, is writing uh, this gospel and predominantly he, he's thinking with, with uh, Jewish folk in mind. And he wants to present the theme of the king and his kingdom. And that's what Matthew's gospel is about. That's the theme, the king and his kingdom. Ever met a king? Ever met a king? No. You've not lived. Okay well we can know the king the lord jesus christ and we can just simply ask jesus to forgive us of our sins and we can then encounter the king but the king of his kingdom and really i try and keep things simple but really the gospel of matthew divides into three little sections there's a section where the king is revealed and then the next section we read about how the king is rejected And then the third section, it talks about the king returning. The king revealed, the king rejected, the king returning. But as we um, come to the beginning of this gospel, we're introduced to the ancestry of the king. Opening 17 verses of Matthew 1, it tells us uh, about Jesus, the king, who is the ruler and maker, over everything and we're told that he was born of royal lineage or of a royal line it's his ancestry and then we are told in the latter part of matthew 1 18 verses 18 to 25 the arrival of the king this is how the birth of jesus christ was so we have the ancestry of the king and then we're introduced to the arrival of the king and then as we come to matthew 2 we have these wise men who come from the east and they ask the question where is he where is he that was born king of the jews and so we have the adoration of the king. So we have the ancestry of the king the arrival of the king the adoration of the king and then towards the end of matthew 2 we we see that that this king jesus uh, fulfilled specific prophecy so here's a word for you we talk about the attestation of the king in other words that the jesus uh, and the prophecies concerning jesus that he attested to him as being the promised king and the promised Messiah, the ancestry, the arrival, the adoration, the attestation of the king. And then to chapter three, we have the announcement of the king. We're introduced to this character. He's an unusual character called John the Baptist, and he announces the arrival of uh, the king. And and his role was a forerunner. His role was to prepare the hearts of the people so that when they encounter the king, that as they come repenting of their sins, they can then see that he is the fulfillment of all that God has promised and that he is the truly uh, God's son. He's God's Christ and he is the Messiah. And then at the, towards the end of chapter three, in Matthew, we have the anointing of the king. And so we have the father, God the father. Speaking from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We have God the son standing in the river Jordan. We have God the Holy Spirit coming and descending upon him, anointing him in power. And the spirit came in the form of of the king, the arrival of the king, the adoration of the king, the attestation of the king, the announcement of the king, and the anointing of the king, which brings us to chapter 4. That's the story so far. So, everything that we read of in Matthew's gospel is pointing us to who? It's pointing us to the king. Jesus is the king, he is the ruler over everything. We sometimes sing that song with our children in church and so we come to chapter four and anointing that so we've had the public declaration this is my son and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and then we read verse one chapter four that it was the spirit of God that actually leads the Lord Jesus into the wilderness and uh, often after times of blessing and after times of victory, um, we find ourselves uh, at a time when perhaps our faith and the genuineness of our, of our faith is often tested. Uh, and so Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil don't misunderstand what the Bible is saying here the Holy Spirit uh, is is not tempting Jesus but the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus uh, to the wilderness where he will encounter uh, the devil and where the devil for 40 days Mark and Luke both tell us that for 40 days a period of, of praying and fasting, the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. And so what we have here in these three temptations is the culmination of Jesus being tempted for a period of 40 days. Now, let's think about temptation. We are all, as part of our humanness, as part of our fallenness, we, we, are, we are all prone to temptation. Jesus was tempted And now the writer to the Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way like we are. Yet there's a significant difference. Jesus, because he is the king, Jesus was able to say no to temptation. Um, So he was and has always been and will always be. He is the king who is without sin. So that's different from us because, you see, temptation will give birth to sin. And sometimes we're tempted and we give in to temptation so very quickly, but Jesus was able to resist temptation. He is the sinless son of God, which prompted the hymn writer to say that when Satan comes and tempts me, And when he tells me, reminds me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see, by faith, I see him there, the one who's made an end of all my sin. Reminds me of the story, when I think of the whole area and subject of temptation. Reminds me of the story of the man and his dog. Anyone got a dog here? Got a dog? Wow. Wow. I bet he's lush. Is your dog lush? What sort of dog is your dog? Whoa. Excellent. What sort of dog? you got a dog? What sort of dog you got? Oh. We love dogs, don't we? I find nothing against cats. Oh, you've got a dog as well? Oh, what a lovely name for a dog. Nothing against cats, but I find dogs more interesting. Anyhow, the story is, the man and his dog. And and uh, every day now the dog would come into the kitchen, right, and the owner would place a piece of meat on the kitchen floor. What did the dog do? He saw the meat, ran over, gobbled it up. And the owner said, No, no. And were we were in, give him a little tap. Don't do that. Next day, owner's in the kitchen, places a piece of meat on the kitchen floor, dog comes in, aha, meat. Saw the meat. Ran to the meat, gobbled it up. And the owner said, no, no, don't do that. Give him another little tap. And eventually what happened was, the story goes, that the dog learnt very quickly that really he needs to sit there and he needs to gaze into the face of his master. And when his master would then say, now you can go and have your meat, then go and it's a very powerful little picture for us because it reminds us that if we want to overcome temptation we need to learn as christians the secret of sitting and gazing into the face of our master into the face of the lord jesus christ who is the king who's come to establish his kingdom. And if we fix our gaze on him, again, the writer to the Hebrews says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated on the right hand of God, our Father. I wonder this morning, brother, sister, fellow believer, Do we spend enough time gazing into the face of our master? Because if we gaze upon him, if we're ready to to learn from him, to listen to him, to respond to him, to commune with him, to have fellowship with him, to be led by him, then actually all the other things and all the other temptations that surround us will will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace and so the spirit of god leads jesus king into the wilderness he's tempted he's fasted and we're told here he's hungry and it highlights doesn't it his manhood he's the god man he's fully god he's also fully man he's hungry well wouldn't you be hungry if you went 40 days and 40 nights without food i need to go 40 days and 40 nights without food but that's a different story isn't it and i'm not sure i would survive but jesus was able to go 40 days and 40 nights fasting and he's praying whilst he fasts because he's being sustained by his heavenly father there's a key here isn't there that we need to spend time and sometimes we we need to have time with him alone But often, when we seek and desire to spend time with him alone, what happens is that the devil or the enemy will come and want to distract us. Or, as in the case here, the enemy will fill our thoughts with doubts. Listen to the tactic of the devil. He's described here in verse 3 as the tempter. And he came and said to King Jesus, If you are the Son of God, of god so what he's doing this is part of his tactic isn't it he's he's trying to 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 bring doubt into the mind of jesus in actual fact a better translation should be since you are the son of god because the temptation here is is not about dealing with jesus's hunger the temptation is 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 more subtle than that that what the devil is seeking to do is that he wants to suggest that all that Jesus is going through is incompatible with who he is. Since you are the son of God, why why has your father, your heavenly father, why has he not provided for you? See the point? Since you are the son of God, why hasn't... The father provided for your needs. Why are you hungry? He's bringing into question the validity of who he is. We know he's the king who's come to establish his kingdom. He brings into question. And right at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, the devil always brings into question. He wants us to doubt the the authority and the validity uh, and the power of God's word remember in the garden you know that uh, God gave Adam and Eve a beautiful garden they knew God they enjoyed God they had fellowship with God they walked with him in in the cool of the day everything was everything was spotless everything was clean everything was perfect everything was glorious they were they were united with the one who'd made them who loved them and gave everything for them and yet they disobeyed God and as a Result of their disobedience we know that sin entered their hearts entered creation and so sin now separates them from their God and their maker and he comes in the cool of the day and he calls out to Adam where are you and all of a sudden Adam starts to blame Because part of the temptation that the devil brought, it caused them to doubt. Ah, but God is withholding something good from you. Caused them to doubt. And so they they gave in to temptation. And so when God called them to account, here we have the blame culture. uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You heard that before, I'm sure. Blame culture. And so causing them to doubt. There'll be times in your walk, in your Christian life, in your experience, when the enemy will cause you to doubt God's precious promises. And all his promises found in God's word are are precious, and they're great and uh, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises and so all the promises of God are in him and they are yes, they're solid, they're firm, they're yes and amen. So that's that's the heart of this temptation. Since you are the son of God, here we have it, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now temptation will come in proportion to one's gifts and to one's abilities. I'm not in, in, in any fear of, of being tempted to turn uh, stones into loaves of bread because I don't possess the ability or the power to do it. Do you see that? Temptation will come to us, right, in proportion to our gifting and to our abilities. So for instance, you might be a sales representative. And we might say, he or she has the gift of the gap and if it's used well and for the glory of god then that's a gift isn't it and all good gifts come from god but we can we can abuse and misuse the very gifts that god gives us and so often temptation will come at the heart and in proportion to uh, to the use of our gifts and our abilities don't if you've been blessed perhaps you've been blessed with a, a musical gift you've been guest, uh, um, you've been gifted with a teaching gift you've been you've you've been gifted I don't know whether with a with a a, a gift that you're athletic and you're you you're great at sport whatever the gift is flower arranging I don't know whatever the gift is if it's used well if it's used for the glory of God then amen but often the enemy will come and will tempt you in this area um, and will say well actually You need to to use your gift in this way. And the devil will want you to use your gift in the devil's way. in, In a way that will gratify you as an individual, you as a person. As opposed to using that particular gift in God's way. Friends, there's no shortcut to understanding the will of God. But God has promised that he will equip his children, he will empower his people to actually say no to temptation. You know, you can't say, as some Christians sadly do, say, oh, that's just the way I am. You know, and and they say terrible things and and, and their, their words are not used to be helpful and to build people up and to encourage people. Sometimes their words are there to destroy a reputation or to hurt someone. Hurt people hurt people. And you you might say, oh, hang on a minute. That, That wasn't quite the right thing to say. Our conversations and our words should always be seasoned with grace. Oh, that's just the way I am. That is not a valid excuse for us as Christians. Because as Christians, we have the spirit of God who lives in us, who will equip us and empower us to say no to temptation we'll say no to the things that the enemy would, wa- would want us to do and we can say yes we can say yes to living out the will of God in the plan of God and walking in the path of God for the glory of God So Jesus responds. How does he respond? How does he resist the devil here? He does so on three occasions, recorded for us in this passage, by using scripture. Here's the scripture he quotes. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying that that actually my food is not physical bread. My food is to do the will of my father who sent me. Hear that? What's your food this morning? Is your food the will, doing the will of God in all things? In other words, Jesus is saying this, that actually that my, my life here on earth and my ministry and the purpose for being here is to fulfill the very will of God. And if God wills me to, to, to live without food then so be it if god if if god deems that i i should die through starvation then so be it but jesus knew the will of god do you know the will of god for your life we don't know all the ins and outs that's why we have to walk by faith and not by sight but god's will for you and for me as christians is this that we live holy lives different lives lives that are separate from, from all the, um, the, 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 the deceitfulness and sinfulness that surrounds us in this world and what a messed up world we live in living a life of integrity living a life for the glory of god that's the will that's the purpose of god for you this morning living a life that will honor him living a life for the king living a life for his kingdom living a life for righteousness sake living a life for him that's his will And how do we know the kind of life he wants us to live? We come to the word, the word of God, that not only feeds us, but teaches us and rebukes us and corrects us and thoroughly equips us and furnishes us us to do his will, to walk in his plans and his purposes. He uses scripture. Do you memorize scripture? When I was a kid in Gloucester, many years ago, we, we used to have, I used to hate it, scripture examinations. Oh. I mean, I used to think examinations belonging in school, and I didn't like them there. Scripture, oh, and my mother, teacher, oh, she'd drum it, and she say, and I remember I had to, had to learn not just a verse, and that's easy, isn't it? We can all learn a verse, can't we? I had to learn passages. Like twenty verses, chapters. I oh no. And I'd stand and that to shout them out and recite them all. Oh, nightmare. But isn't it amazing that what we learn and, and the word of God that comes uh, and the psalmist says, I, I love your word, O oh Lord, I hide your word in my heart. If, if we if we hide God's word in our heart, all that we learn, we'll never lose. Once it goes in, it'll be in. And little did I know that many years later as a preacher, I I could be preaching one Sunday morning and one Sunday evening and out the blue, all those verses that I learned as a child, suddenly come back. The only problem is no one understands what I'm saying because it was all the old language in those days, wasn't it? See? The old King James version. So I have to stop and try and say it in a way that people understand. But the point I'm saying is this Jesus knew Scripture. And for him, he had the, the Old Testament, books of Moses, had you know, the Psalms and the prophe- prophecies. He knew Scripture. Man shall not live. See? Because the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And as Christians, we're in a spiritual warfare. And so he takes hold of scripture. We need to take hold of scripture. And so when Satan, when the enemy comes and when the tempter comes, we need to be able to say, for it is written. So memorize scripture. And my dear mother who, who died a couple of years ago and she had dementia, she, she forgot my name. She forgot who I was. She didn't recognize me, but she never forgot the very words of God. Isn't that amazing? And so even, sadly, as old people, when we might forget who we are and who our family are, by God's grace, his word will still be fresh and new to us, for it is Written. I have no idea what time it is, just a minute, because I'll be here all day, you see. Oh, there's a clock there. Oh, marvellous, you see. We, we haven't got clocks in Emmanuel, but we've, but we've got calendars, so that helps. Right, look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him, that's Jesus, on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, since, or if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, here we go, this is interesting isn't it that even the devil knows scripture and that's that's something isn't it even people who oppose the king even those people who oppose the kingdom do know scripture the difference is between jesus and the authentic believer the difference between jesus and the authentic believer and the devil and those who aren't the lord's is that the devil will misinterpret misapply and he will twist scripture here we have a classic example he says this since you are the son of god throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone here we have it verse seven jesus said to him again it is written here we have it he's using scripture the word of god sharper than a double edged sword you shall not put the lord your god to the test now here's the key the devil now is changing his tact you see jesus saying i'm not going to command these these stones into to be bread because I'm here to fulfill the will of my father. This isn't according to his will. I'm not doing it. So now, what is the devil doing? The, the devil now is attempting to presume that if Jesus was to throw himself off the temple, that God the Father would come and rescue him. This is the sin of presumptuousness. And so, so the devil now is saying, well, if you're not willing, if you're not willing to succumb to doing what I ask, then I'm now going to test the father to see if he'll succumb. You see that? Very subtle. But this is this is the heart of the temptation. Again, says Jesus, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We should never put the Lord our God to the test. We must must resist the sin of presumptuousness. Don't presume. And sometimes Christians do, and they get themselves into all sorts of trouble. Don't presume. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Don Carson says on this verse, he says this, interestingly, he doesn't show him all the sins of the nations. Just a word from Uncle Don. Hmm. He shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse nine, he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. If we read in Psalm 2, the father says to his son, all these, all these kingdoms I will give you. So who's, who, who has the authority uh, uh, to, to give these things uh, to the king? Well, it's the father in heaven. And so Jesus said, "Begone, Satan. Here we have it. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve i wonder this morning what are you worshiping who are you worshiping we all worship someone or something your friends in school they may not be in chapel today but they all worship someone or something who do we worship here in bethel this morning do you worship the living lord jesus christ Do you worship the king? Can you say, I know Jesus, and I know him in a very close and intimate way? Because there was a time, and I realized that my sin was so offensive to a holy God, I said, Lord, forgive me. I was 12 and I became a Christian. I didn't know much then, I don't know much more now, but I knew this. I knew this, that I was dirty in the sight of a God. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that being in a Christian home wasn't enough. I knew that going to church wasn't enough. I knew that even doing religious things wasn't enough. Being kind, being good, being in church, singing, praying, reading the Bible. These things are good and valuable, but not enough. And I was 12 and I was sat in the middle of a forest and I realized that there was only one who could save me. There was only one who had authority to forgive me of for my sin. Someone who is, a high, who is higher above all. Who is king above all. The one who came to establish his kingdom in that, so that people like you and me, even though we don't deserve it, we can be a part of his kingdom. That we can know the king as our older brother. And I just said, Lord, I'm dirty. I'm sinful forgive me and guess what he did he forgave me isn't that amazing that even now there's a god in heaven who's looking down upon us and he looks down upon us with love and he's willing us to cry to him for salvation he's willing us to say lord I need you. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and for my sin. I believe you rose again for me that I might know justification or I can be declared righteous by God on account of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Isn't that amazing? I knew as I, as I walked through the Forest of Dean, I knew that heaven had heard my cry. I knew that I was forgiven. I knew I was forgiven, not just for time, not just for that spring bank holiday, or Whitsun and we used to call it, but I knew that I was safe and secure, and I'd been saved, not just for time, but forever. And so I could sing. I remember singing next to my grandfather. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. And so he said, Jesus, to the to the devil, be gone. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Are you worshiping the king? Who is on the throne of your little hearts this morning? Who is the one who, who is taking the first place who is the preeminent king or preeminent one in your life you see we can we can worship things i remember many years ago i was in america it's a weird story this but it's true and and uh, i was sat in church in america one sunday morning and a lady behind me she she was chinese and she tapped me on my shoulder and she said i'd like to talk to you in the in the car park well she didn't say car park she said parking lot and I'm getting my, my buddy, who's an interpreter, saying, parking lot, car park, all right. Anyhow, anyway, so I want to speak to you afterwards in the parking lot. So I met her in the parking lot afterwards, my friend, and she said, um, I've got idols in my life, what do I do? I thought, well, I've never been asked that before. I said, I said, smash them up and give your heart to Jesus. And she went away sad. Three years later, sat, one Saturday night, I'm back in Atlanta city, Right? And and I'm in Walmart, which is astas okay? I'm in Walmart. And who served me? That chat I didn't know. She said, Ah, you pastor from Wales. Said, That's right, yes. I said, How did you how did you know? She said, Ah, she said, some remember. You good news, she said. I smashed the idols and gave my life to Jesus. Wow. And she was She was worshiping idols. Maybe we we worship a teacher or a talent or an ability or a leisure pursuit or an activity, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Everyone worships someone or something. But here Jesus reminds the devil and he reminds us in no uncertain terms that we should worship the Lord your God and him only shall we serve. Look at verse 11, we close with this. Then the devil left him and and behold angels came and were ministering to him. You know the amazing thing is this? In what ways do you think the angels were ministering to Jesus? <laughs> well, we can only imagine, can't we? Well, they came to, to strengthen him, to encourage him, but I'm sure I'm absolutely sure that they also brought a bit of food for him. Because our God, he cares not just for his son, but he cares for all those who believe and trust in the son for everlasting life. Who's the king? Jesus is the king. Who's the ruler over everything? His name is Jesus. He is the Lord, and you've sung about him, we have worshipped him, we have prayed to him. Why don't we ask him to come and meet with us? And if you're not a Christian, you can ask him now to save you. He can and he will. If you are a Christian, but you feel that you've, you, you've messed up because you've given in to temptation, well, here's, here's the thing. If you confess your sin this morning to the king, he is willing and just to forgive you of for your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that link of fellowship that has been cut off through your sin, been given into temptation, is restored. When we stand with Him and we walk with Him, and He says, Friend, this is the way. Walk you in it. And may we walk according to His word. Maybe walk with him for his glory and for his honor through this coming week.